You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Hi, everyone. Hello, family. Uh, We are here for you. I've been talking to a lot of you via Instagram lately. I feel like the state of the world is a little uneasy and it's actually been really comforting to connect with you Mm -hmm. online. Yeah, I feel like everyone has really been supporting each other in a really beautiful way. I think there's so much in the rhetoric of fear and mm-hmm. isolation, but I do feel like so much of the community has been even more supportive. And I feel like, you know, in Aaron Rose, we were talking to Aaron Rose, our coach, about kind of what's happening in the ether. And uh, he really encouraged us to remember that there is like an expansion and evolution that we are all going through that really can't be stopped at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of the fear and things that are happening in the world will pass as we evolve and really step into our light. Yeah. He also emphasized that love is so much more powerful than fear, which is like, you know, you say that and people are like, okay, shut up, but this is real. But love is also very real (laughs) and is like a very real vibration that could possibly help the situation. So um, wherever you are out there, just know that we are here to support you. We have a community of women all over the world. You can find them in our ambassador groups and programs. So if you are not a part of a local chapter, please join our secret Facebook group, the larger group with about almost 20,000 people in there chatting, supporting each other every day. But then there are also local chapters so you can create community where you are. Yeah, really the goal of Almost 30 is just to support women of our community in any transition that they're going through. We started this three years ago with that sentiment when we were transitioning to our 30s. And now here we are. And now here we are. Yeah, so welcome (laughs) to the end of March, baby. It's gone this year has flown and I'm I not know. sure why. I know. I don't know if it's like the anxiety of it all. It's just me. <laughs> Time. I don't, yeah, I don't know what that is. I just, as I've been getting older, I don't, I don't want to have a fear of getting older. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it, but I also don't want to. I don't know. I, this is like the time. The window of my life is now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just feel like such a pressure to really make the most of it. Yeah. You know, so hearts out to anyone that really feels like that pressure and sentiment to really make their life the best that it can be during this lifetime. I completely feel you. Yeah. And I think like in society, thirty, your 30s are kind of tagged as your prime. So you're like, I got to do it now. I got to get married. I got to have kids. I got to have the career. I got to, got to, got to. And then we forget that if we set ourselves up in our 20s and 30s, we could actually have like a really fulfilling 40s, 50s, 60s. So it's just interesting to think about and like remind ourselves of 
It's all the mindset too. You know, if you get your mindset right in your 20s and 30s, your 40s and 50s will be every year just gets better Mm -hmm. and every decade just gets better and better. So it's all about the mindset that you have. So right now it's really like cultivating that. Mm -hmm. As I sit in this chair with a weighted blanket on top of (laughs) it. I'm sitting in a chair with a weighted blanket on right now. It's my saving grace. Y'all, I have this weighted blanket. It's... It's really, really soft, heavy, 25 pounds, and I sleep with it every single night. Maybe I'm now dependent on it, but I just feel safe. I mean... And so well. I'm feeling it. <laughs> it's like I actually feel my body it brings, in the chair. Yeah, it brings me back down to earth. Yes. Because I feel like sometimes if we've had just a really busy day, been all over, talked to a lot of people, like it's hard for me to bring my energy back to my body. Yep. And this really helps. Yeah. Highly suggest weighted blankets. That's mm-hmm. one of our our favorite tools. Almost 30 favorites, 2020. I know, honestly. <laughs> weighted blanket is one of them. Today on the pod, we have Julie Nguyen, the founder of Methodology, which is a an incredible company that delivers fresh uh, chef-curated food to your door. I really love talking to Julie, you know, to learn about her story and realizing that it's so relatable to be in a place where you're not feeling well, but you're also tolerating it because you don't know the answer. And so for her, once she realized that changing her diet was going to affect her mood, her eczema, her weight, her happiness, it was it was really profound. And I know a lot of you will relate. Yeah. It was so interesting to hear her, how much medication she was on mm-hmm. and how correlated that was to the diet that she had. So she was raised in Santa Ana, California, and her mom was a Vietnamese immigrant. So she spoke to the belief that her mother had that American food must be healthy because Americans are taller. She said to Asians, taller is healthier. So she said that Vietnamese people believed that American food, which was the standard American diet, would be helpful and healthy. So she grew up eating this you know, standard American diet and it ended up making her very sick. She had asthma, eczema. She was on a bunch of prescription drugs for hallucinating, for losing sleep. And it just completely took over her life. But throughout this entire process, um, she still was able to go to Stanford for school, You know, get an amazing job, even though all of these physical ailments were really just her passenger, you know, her dark passenger Mm -hmm. the entire time. And when she started to really take stock on changes in her diet and how it affected her, she was able to like do math calculations in a way and really just figure out how health and how her diet could really change her entire life. Yeah. And the focus at methodology is whole foods and they are organic and they use no refined sugars, gluten, dairy, canola oil, chemicals, or preservatives. And this was just a great way to kind of apply this to your life. It doesn't mean you have to order methodology. It's just thinking more critically about like, okay, is there maybe an excess of refined sugar that I'm taking in on a daily or weekly basis that could be affecting my cognition? Am I experiencing inflammation? Maybe I have to look at my dairy and gluten intake. So it was really just like a great way to take stock of your um, current 
current nutrition and how it could be affecting you physically and yeah. mentally. And it's also just talking about the shift of mindset between looking at your food as something that causes you stress or anxiety or something that needs to be calculated like she did at the beginning, but more as something that can be self-love mm-hmm. and that we deserve to feel better than just feeling okay. Um, we deserve to feel better than just surviving. We deserve to feel really good. And whether it's using something like methodology or just coming back to whole foods and being thoughtful about whatever you're consuming, I think her story is a really good guide for us to look at as inspiration. Absolutely. If you'd like to try a methodology, um, we just wanted to give you a code, gomethodology.com. You can use the code almost 30 for 20% off your first delivery. But enjoy this episode. I think it's super relatable. If you feel like anyone would benefit from listening to this conversation, definitely just pass along the link to the episode. I think it's a great gift you can give friends and family if you're taking in information, whether it's a podcast or a book or an article and just passing it along, thought of you, and it could help them. Yes. We are so looking forward to connecting with you more, whether it's on Instagram, Almost 30 Podcast, in the secret Facebook group, on our personal Instagram. Mine is at It's Krista. And mine is at Lindsay Simsick. And just know we are your internet BFFs. Mm -hmm. We will see you on the other side and enjoy this one. So you weight lift and and do bodybuilding. Yeah. Where did you get into that? Like, How was that your... I got into it in my 20s just through hiring a personal trainer and then... She ended up moving down to LA and she writes workout programs for me so that I can just go to the gym and just do what she tells me to do and I don't have to think. Right. Yeah. But how do you get the confidence to do weightlifting in a place like that? That's very masculine. Oh, that's a good question. I think the only reason why I'm confident about it is because when I started weightlifting, I did it with a personal trainer for years. So I felt like I learned reasonable form and technique and then... I'm sure my form is still horrible. I mean, any professional who saw me today would be like, holy, she's going to hurt herself. Stop. Uh, but as far as just doing it now around really fit people, uh, I just find it really inspiring. The, yeah. I've never seen so many women with six packs in my Like, I don't have a single friend in my life with a six pack, like a female. Like, I, to me, that was like, that's a myth. That only happens on the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But at Gold, yeah. On my right, on my left, two women totally ripped. It's it's cool to see. Like, wow, if I pushed my body, technically it could become like that. Yeah. How has your body relationship with your body changed? Like kind of the the self-talk around that? It's changed a lot. I'm 37 now. So uh, I've felt the evolution in my thinking. Whereas when I was in my 20s, it was more, I was very looks focused. And then now with like a startup, um, all I really care about is just like, I just need enough energy every day to feel good. And if I have that, if my body does that for me, then I'm really happy. And then what was your journey with food? I know this it has inspired, obviously, methodology, but I'm sure it didn't always look perfect. So what was that? Yeah, I grew up in SoCal and was raised by a single mom. I'm Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. And... She came to this country and looked around and saw like, wow, look at all of these Americans. They're so tall and strong, like this American food. There is something to it. So she put me on- Like it's all those GMOs. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't know. So she had me eating like just all American food all the time. She like didn't even cook really Vietnamese food for me growing up. So she would take me to McDonald's, Burger King. And so I just ate a lot of American food. And 
I was fine for a long time, but all of a sudden when I hit 16 in high school, I started feeling really anxious and depressed all the time. Like I went from being like straight A's, everything feels effortless. I feel really healthy. I'm a normal weight to like gaining tons of weight and just feeling really depressed. Like I I would, during lunchtime, I would go hide in a classroom because I couldn't be around people. Mm. Uh, like I would, that's how much I wanted to avoid people. Yeah. So- Was it people or was it people and food? Just people. I, I had a hard time just interacting. I yeah. was so unhappy and it only got worse in college. Like I feel like I, my friends joke that like, they don't even know how I graduated from Stanford. They think it was like a miracle that I graduated just because I was so- destructive with my behavior, but largely because of my health. I would get panic attacks during exams. So I had a really hard time keeping my grades up. Um, I had insomnia during large parts of college where I just wasn't sleeping. Um, so I was on tons of prescription drugs for all of these things. Like, wow. you know how they handle, so I was on like the pill for acne. I was on anti-insomnia drugs, anti-anxiety drugs, mm. uh, really strong anti-asthma allergy prescription drugs. So I think I had probably eight to 10 prescriptions I was on. And I thought that was normal at that age, but I was like 20, 21 at that time. Wow. And um, and then things just kept getting worse. And then I started my job in San Francisco, working at JP Morgan, and it was a demanding job. Doing what? Uh, doing like finance and sales. Okay. And my health just kept getting worse. And I remember just looking around in San Francisco thinking like, wait a minute, how come everyone around me is so much healthier than I am? Am I doing something wrong? And finally, just actually out of luck one day, um, I think like I got... I actually had to get like so sick <laughs> to really realize that like something was wrong. So I had like a bunch of different health episodes I need to go to in detail. But for example, um, I almost had a stroke uh, in my 20s. And then when I went to the doctor, it turns out it was because I was on the birth control pill. Whoa. Really? How did they determine that? They asked And what me, were your symptoms? Yeah. So I, one day I was at work, working at the computer, just typing email. And all of a sudden I like went blind and <gasps> could not see the screen anymore. Like everything in my vision was just completely blurry. Like, oh, like looking through like a really weird kaleidoscope, which freaked me out because it had never happened before. And I was like, please God, let this not be permanent because I can't see anymore. So like, I need to say best regards in this email. Honestly, you need to tell them that you've, you're, it, this is in receipt and you're working on it. Yeah, exactly. So I like immediately go to the emergency room and they said, okay, what you experienced, it's called an ocular migraine. Uh, they asked me about all the different drugs that I'm on, diet and all that stuff. And then the neurologist at UCSF said, Okay, based on everything we know about you, you're at high risk of stroke. You almost had a stroke. Um, it's because of hormonal birth control. You cannot be on any form of birth control that has hormones, even if it's an IUD. It's like, you just can't, sorry. Wow. And he said like, it's so sad how easily people give out the pill in the US. Because mm -hmm. um, he said, I have seen women your age come in here with a full on stroke and it is so sad caused by the pill. I've never heard of that. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't either. I mean, I was literally taking it for acne, not even because I was in a relationship. So yeah, like, wow. I really didn't need it. I, I was, was taking a, it for vanity. That was a trend. Yeah. Yes, I, I went on it for my skin. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I heard a lot of people did. They're like, 
your skin will get better and you'll get boobs. So when yeah. you're, you know, younger, you're like, perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. This is a dream. rumor to spread. <laughs> yeah, it was, the, it was exactly the perfect rumor but it was, to spread. It was, it was true. Yeah. And then you didn't understand like the, the other effects. things that it could be affecting. Wow. Yeah. So it seems like too, you know, in a lot of this, it's like you were not just being completely honest. It's like you were just taking everything for what they said and yes. not really doing the research yourself. Yeah. So was it the stroke that sort of made you take the power back in your hands and be like, okay, what am I taking? What's going on? What's the cause? It took several health interventions for me because I didn't know I was raised to idolize doctors and didn't think that I needed to question their skill and their knowledge. So it probably wasn't even until I had like a second healthcare where I had a tumor repeatedly growing in my throat that I constantly had to get removed. Uh, so that, you know, because they wanted to make sure it wouldn't become cancerous. So finally, you know, after three surgeries, this doctor is like, you know, you really need to take care of your immune system. Uh, and you were still eating trash. Yeah, I was still like eating trash, drinking a lot of alcohol, getting drunk, screaming on the weekends, which was also bad as you throat, do, which he was yelling at me for. So was it like, a, it was a, a tumor? It was a tumor that was growing on my vocal cords. So the way I discovered it was- Not a node, but a tumor. Yeah, yeah. It was Ugh. a non-cancerous okay. and I lost my voice. And after six or nine months of having no voice, people were like, you should go to a doctor because that's weird to have a, such a raspy voice for so long. And that's when they stuck a camera down my throat and they were like, okay, you have a tumor growing on your vocal cord and we won't know if it's cancer until we get in there and operate, which was like, that was a scary couple months. Um, so yeah, it took a lot. It took a lot for me to change, frankly. It took a lot. It wasn't like one thing. It was several years of struggling with my health before I finally said, okay, it's time to really learn about what it means to take care of myself, figure out what that looks like, you know, do the research and, you know, and then start from there. So from that point on, it was, I applied my type A personality to like tackling this problem rather than ignoring it. So I just built these massive Excel spreadsheets to track all my food and my symptoms and did all different kinds of elimination diets. And then was basically able to finally actually get off all my prescription drugs. So for example, I learned oddly, I wasn't expecting it that when I cut out dairy, I no longer had uh, asthma attacks anymore wow. or seasonal allergies. So I was able to move off all those drugs once I religiously stopped eating dairy. So I made a bunch of changes like that. And it was so impactful for me, as you can imagine, where I was like, holy crap, my whole life, I thought that I had these diseases that were incurable. And it turns out I was the one causing them through my own food choices. And like, how come no one ever told me this? Like, how can I go through college at Stanford and you know get to age 30 without knowing this. Uh, so I felt like there needed to be a service out there that would like help people eat the right foods and educate them because like people don't know. They just yeah. don't know. Yeah, I kind of want to unpack too, just like going back, you know, your mom being an immigrant and a single mom, you know, did she come from Vietnam or like what was her journey like? And it's really fascinating did you have to pay for Stanford yourself? Like that's, that's really powerful, you know, to move here, to be in an immigrant family. And I've actually found, you know, through conversations we've had with our podcast is like children of immigrants have the best work ethic ever because you guys just the way you've been grown up. And it's really beautiful that you were able to get into Stanford and now create this business. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So she was born in Vietnam, really, really smart woman taught herself English by listening to the radio, was able to get one of the highest scores on this national exam. 
uh, in order to come to the U.S. and have the government pay for her to go to college. And Vietnam was so corrupt back then that like she arrived with her classmates and half of them didn't speak any English for a test. That was like in English, right? Which means that people bribed their way in, you know? So that's what the world was wow. like back then. But she was one of the ones who got in the legit way because she's just really smart. Um, so she studied engineering here. Wow, where? She studied at Michigan State. Wow, cool. Oh. So were you guys in Michigan? No, I was born in Florida, but grew up in Orange County in Little Saigon, okay. not too oh, far cool. from here. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So she came over and she went to Michigan State. Mm-hmm. And then you were born where? I was born in Orlando. Orlando, sexy. Yeah. And so did you, was your father there? Like, what was that transition yeah. like? He was there when I was born. They split when I was about five, but I still have a really close relationship with him. But, you know, he wasn't the one I lived with. So it was my mom raising two kids. Um, even though she was an engineer, she wasn't making that much money because you know, the language barrier and there's only so much <laughs> she could do. And she's not the type to negotiate hard for salary or anything. So we were... We lived a very like simple, lower middle class life in Santa Ana. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I remember that the grocery, weekly grocery bill for the three of us was always under $100, which like, I mean, I buy like three snacks at Irwan. It's $100 I know. Right now. I know. <laughs> so um, yeah, that was, how, that was how I grew up. And I remember, yeah, it was shocking when I got into Sanford, frankly, because I didn't go to, I think I was the first person in the history of my high school to get in. And then I was wow. raised by a single mom. So it was surprising to a lot of people. Right. But that was my dream school since I learned about it from watching Saved by the Bell. So Wait, did they go there and Saved by the Bell? I, they talked about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was like- talked about it. <laughs> what did you study Zach at Morris Stanford? Didn't go. <laughs> I studied economics. Okay. Same. Wow. And was that, was that a passion of yours or- No, I really wish I had just studied stuff I really loved because- I'm definitely, if I had just picked what I loved, it probably would have been something like English or history, something more along those realms. So I always find myself reading and writing in my free time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did econ because I thought, okay, I have to go work on Wall Street after this. So um, and that's just what people did at that time. So I graduated in 2004. Uh, if you went to Stanford, you basically either became like a doctor or you went to banking or you went to management consulting. And there was almost nothing else that people would do. So you know, I, sadly, I didn't, think about what I wanted to do. I just did what everyone else was doing. Looking back, like, you know, you started to work for JP Morgan, um, was in that world. Like, can you kind of connect some health issues with like your emotional state and your your stressed state? Yeah, I feel like there's a, a negative feedback loop. It's so hard when you're depressed to pull yourself out of that because when you feel depressed, you avoid people, you don't eat well, right? You don't like take care of yourself, which only makes the depression worse. And I'm amazed when anyone can pull themselves out of that. And yeah, when I just look back, I don't, it's not totally clear to me like how it happened. It definitely wasn't an overnight thing, but I do think that changing my diet was one of the biggest things to improve my mental state. When I eat well, I don't, like I just don't have anxiety problems. Whereas when I do, like I just I just feel anxious. Same. Yeah. I have the history of um, depression, anxiety, and even in my family, you know, mental illness. And I, I I'm I'm very curious and interested in the correlation of when I am eating really well and my nutrients are in check and all of my self care is in check, and that means hydration, sleep, relationships. 
uh, mindfulness, et cetera, and how I am able to mitigate and work against it. And sometimes I'm like, how much... And of course, I am validating people that have clinical depression and have clinical anxiety and have medications for it. But I do ponder like how much is controlled by food and diet. Because it's like when you changed your diet, your depression was... Yeah, it's pretty much gone. I don't feel like I have any issues today as long as I take care of myself. Yeah. And that was something that I thought that I was going to be straddled with my whole life. I was like, oh, this is just what it feels like to be an adult. Like I thought it was normal. I just thought that that was normal. That's probably, do you think that's like in the culture of being at Stanford and then to JP Morgan, it's like, okay, college, you work really hard. You get the grades. You're supposed to get the job that gets you the money. And this is kind of part of the culture in the corporate world where you're supposed to be miserable. I felt like that was a little bit in the zeitgeist of conversation in the corporate world. I was in consulting, uh, finance management consulting when I first got out of college. And that was a little bit of the conversation where it's like, it's normal to feel miserable. And this is a conversation piece that people can relate on. And it was almost like funny. Mm-hmm. It's like how you talk to people. It's like how miserable you are. Yeah, that's a really good point. There is a culture, you know, I can speak for finance, not the other industries where it's normal to not like your job. It's normal to drink a little bit too much as an escape because of it and to let, you know, let off steam. Uh, you know, it's normal to just go out and grab, you know, whatever lunch with the coworker. You know, it, it's not like, it's definitely not like a wellness environment. It's, yeah. I agree. It's like, we all hate this, but we're doing it for the money. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to bring up the money thing where it's like, that is the attachment to that part of success is I think so strong in those industries, if not like the only thing, yeah. unless you're like driving other initiatives within a company um, or really are passionate about what you're doing. But I'm sure over time, like that type of work does wear you down and it doesn't have longevity. How was your relationship with money and making money and then transitioning out of that? Yeah, it was, it was hard to decide to make the transition because I was doing finance in San Francisco, uh, but all of my friends were working in tech at companies that I thought were doing way more meaningful things than you know what I was working on. So um, I knew I wanted to make the transition to tech so that I could feel like I you know was spending my time valuably. And so you fit in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and because to fit SF in. Because, so much like yeah, that. No one wanted to hear about what I You're did. You're like, yeah, <laughs> literally. But then I realized when I started to interview, wow, like I'm really being overpaid right now because, and I would have to take a massive pay cut just to switch industries. And I did, I think like, I literally from like my last year in finance to my first year in tech made like my first year in tech, I made one third of what I had been making the year before. So I had to take a massive pay cut to make the switch, but I just told myself like, well, it's going to be more painful the longer I wait. (laughs) And I know that like when I looked at what my boss was doing in finance, like I didn't want that job. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I just had to rip the bandaid off and do it. But it was a hard adjustment to go from like making good money to like not making good money again. I think that's a good thing to, to, for people to do in the corporate world. Um, you know, just have to think about like the career trajectory that's in front of you and looking at the people above you. Like, do you want that job? You know, if, if you're the next in line for a management position or vice president or whatever, it's like, is that interesting to you? Do you want that job? Do they seem happy? 
does that seem like something you'd want to do to really like evaluate where you are and if you're doing the right thing. But I also just want to talk about like the the evolution of sort of you and your health and sort of taking it into your own hands. So when you quit, did you have the Excel spreadsheets going? Did you have the research happening? Like, because I'm curious if there was a connection between your courage to leave your job and you having control and ownership of your health. Mm-hmm. The yeah, I didn't start doing the health tracking and Excel stuff till I was working in tech, and but the skills that I acquired definitely in the finance job helped me do that in a really easy way, and I think that the courage to leave that job made it easier for me to then later quit my tech job to start methodology. So I think once you do these hard, scary things, they they become easier over time. 100%. As you did your research, like what was the most fascinating or shocking thing that you found and then implemented? Oh, oh, about like health changes Mm -hmm. or dietary changes. I guess at the time, one of the things that was causing me the most health problems, there was obviously dairy, but all of the fake meats because ah. I was eating a lot of fake meat back then. And um, those it turns out those were giving me like tons of health problems. So like my face used to be half covered in eczema and my elbows were, and I would just like scratch in meetings all the time because oh. I couldn't control myself. And um, I didn't realize it was the soy nuggets that I was soy. eating. And I only bring this up now because it, like it made me miserable for so many years and I had no idea what it was. And I'm bringing this up now because there are a lot of fake meat products coming out now. So I just, like, I don't eat them. I don't touch them. Um, we don't use them in methodology. I just hope that people are careful um, that if they're making the switch from chicken or seafood to some of these fake meats, like uh, if they notice, you know, any shifts, any weird new things happening with their health, uh, that's a reasonable hypothesis. Yeah. Definitely. Did you get food tests to, to prove that it was the soy or how did you make that discovery? Oh, just by like adding and removing things yeah. from my diet. Yeah. That's way more accurate than any kind of food test. Like, because the problem with the food sensitivity test is they they end up flagging things that you eat a lot of because you know your body will trigger that response when you're like constantly exposing it to something, mm. right? So, but it's it's good because it can help like narrow the universe for you. But there are you know if you just Google elimination diet online, there there are like some pretty big culprits that affect the vast majority of people that you can just test on yourself one by one, like soy, eggs, nuts, dairy, all of those, um, and then see which ones you're sensitive to. And, and then you'll know for sure, because even if you take a food sensitivity test, you still have to do the elimination diet to confirm whether it's right anyways. Yeah. Yeah. We've taken a few and I did feel like, I'm like, uh, why is it telling me everything that I eat all the time? Yeah. You know, I was just like, mm-hmm. okay, like broccoli, got it. Mm-hmm. It was. It, it did feel like it was just a repeating to me back what I eat a lot of, which I guess I could reduce, but I just was kind of like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel fine. So I, I, I don't know why I'd reduce it so much. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think it's, that's right. It's always hard for me to think about like an elimination because like you okay. would have to do it consistently and over time mm-hmm. to like make sure that it's out of your system and that you can see so... I've, I haven't really, I've, I've taken out dairy, which has made such a huge difference, yeah. especially speaking of your voice. It was like really affecting my voice oh, and, wow. and all of that. So that's usually something if people ask me about either voice or skin, I'm usually like, check the dairy mm-hmm. or something going on there. Oh yeah. The impact on skin is insane. <laughs> yeah. What has been your, like your skin journey? You said eczema. Yeah. Eczema. And then, well, the dairy was giving me, like, I was just covered in acne. So, wow. and that was why I was on so many prescription drugs. 
which then those drugs, of course, had their own side effects. Like sure. I was on antibiotics at one point for nine months to clear up my acne, not knowing That's, at the time. Could that cause like the the imbalance in your microbiome too? Yeah, wow. but I didn't know that at the time. So oh. it's like, oh, my UCSF dermatologist gave it to me and it clear, you know, it worked. So I wasn't about to stop it. And I was afraid that if I went off it, the acne would come back and vanity was a priority back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, that probably did years worth of damage to me. I don't even think my gut has fully recovered despite everything I try to do today. Wow. Yeah. For, you know, people that are interested in potentially exploring the idea of transitioning off of medications, mm. what would be your advice, you know, coming from a place where you've been on a lot and now you're on none, mm-hmm. right? What Zero. Would, what would be your advice? Well, the beautiful thing that I've learned about now that I didn't know about then is there's such things as functional medicine doctors who specialize in this where they want to treat the root cause of health problems rather than prescribe drugs. So I would say find a functional medicine doctor where you guys are both aligned in the goal of treating the root causes of your problems and getting you off as many unnecessary drugs as possible. And by treating you, by changing your diet and looking at a really good uh, supplementation regime. Mm. So- when did the idea for methodology come into the picture and were you starting to cook? What did that look like? Yeah, so I was working in tech at the time and then I had figured out exactly how I needed to be eating. And so I was spending every Sunday basically meal prepping all of that food every Sunday, which would take like from start to finish probably six hours. And I'm not a good cook, so I was eating the same crappy food all week, but I had to do it for my health. I didn't feel like there were other options. And then on top of that, a lot of friends had seen me go through this journey where I like lost a lot of weight, turned my health around and would come to me for advice constantly. So I started putting people on, they nicknamed it at work, like the Julie diet. Oh. Uh, so I started putting people on the Julie diet where I just kind of wrote out programs for people to just lead them through an elimination diet and educate them on how they might figure out which foods work for them. Mm. And so like with these two things combined, I realized like, okay, maybe there's a business here and, uh, I don't know how big it is. I don't think it's a massive market, but I know that like there are people I know in my life who would benefit from this. So let me try to start something to see if I can help them more because it's what I saw when I helped my friends is that giving people advice doesn't help that much because once you know what to do, that's only like 10% of the battle. <laughs> that actually eating that food every yeah. day is so hard. Yeah. Um, and that's the pain point that I try to address with methodology. I wanted to make sure that even if you don't technically know what you should be eating, you're getting high quality foods that don't include the things that are most likely to make a lot of people sick. And and then you'll feel better, even if you're busy. Mm. So can you break down kind of what the core values of methodology are? I mean, we I really love it. Yeah. Um, I love that 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 comfort food. I still feel like I'm eating like a real food that's like made with love and it's healthy. Yeah. So I'd love for you to break it down. Yeah. So on the food side, that's exactly it. We are all about using just the highest quality ingredients and making sure everything's really comforting and familiar and tasty because I want to change people's point of view that healthy food doesn't taste good um, because healthy food is actually just high quality food. And this is why I kind of like dislike strongly the health food industry because they create all of these versions of food 
um, where they try to like make the calories really low or make do something like make the protein really high. Make the fat. They try to do things to food so they can market it as healthy, and then they create these foods that just don't taste very good <laughs> because of like what they've done. And so I want to. I don't want people to feel like to be healthy, they have to make some dramatic lifestyle change where they're giving up all their favorite foods. I want right. people to realize like, no, we're going to make you all your favorite foods. We're just going to make it using the best ingredients and using none of the stuff that like makes you feel worse. So that's one key tenet of the products. I, yeah, I want people to feel like they can't even believe it's healthy. Mm. And then uh, another part of the design was when I was going through my own journey, I realized like I have the worst willpower ever. Like I love food. If there's a bad- no, if there's a bag of chips in my willpower. house, I'll eat like the whole bag in one sitting. Right? Willpower yeah. is creating Excel documents about elimination <laughs> yeah, diets that you're doing. Thank you very, very, very Never much. completed an Excel Honestly, document. Honestly, every time I open an Excel document, I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> um, so like another tenet of, of methodology is um, our environment impacts our health more than anything else. So what I want to do with methodology is create an environment at home in your kitchen where no matter what, when you open your fridge, when you open your pantry, the stuff that's there is going to improve your health. Uh, because if that stuff is more convenient than the stuff that harms your health, then your health is just going to automatically get better, even if you're not thinking, trying, using willpower, discipline, or any of that. So, and environment, you mean how you're eating, when you're eating, if you're happy at home. Like I want to expand on that. Yeah, environment meaning like literally a lot of it is your physical environment. Like what size plates are you using at home, right? When you have snacks, do you keep them out on the counter where you can see them or do you keep them hidden in a pantry? What, why would that matter? Because every time you see it, you've then forced yourself to make a decision whether to eat it or not. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And we want to, methodology wants to reduce that decision fatigue because every time you make a decision, you have a chance to make a bad decision. And also it's just exhausting to make that many food decisions a day. So with our service, what I've tried to design is a system where like you don't have to think about what you're going to eat for breakfast, lunch, dinner, or a snack that day, because you know, there's something, you know, your methodology came, Mm -hmm. that's what you're going to eat. You don't have to worry about whether it's healthy. And then ideally you don't have to keep that much other stuff in your house. That's going to tempt you. Um, And and that's a key part of success. Just reduce the decisions. Yeah. (laughs) And surround yourself with things that are help, you know, most likely to help you succeed. So it's the physical environment, it's the people you hang out with. Yeah, one hundred percent. Definitely. Yeah. What's What's been the biggest challenge in in keeping this just like running and thriving? Because the product is there. Yeah, the product is there. It's just more. I can imagine there are big challenges. Oh, there are so many. It's like especially in food. Yeah, because we basically are dealing with three different kinds of businesses. We have a, a tech company, a food company, and then there's logistics. So if any one of those three fails, then the whole system is totally screwed. So always trying to stay on top of all three systems and making sure that as, you know, when one system changes, the other systems are ready. Uh, there's just like a lot of coordination that's involved. And then obviously when you're dealing with perishable foods, you end up with a low margin product. You know, so <laughs> There is a reason why you always hear about restaurants failing. It's just the food business is really, really hard when you're dealing with perishable food. I, I will separate out like snack companies that don't have perishable products. Those companies actually have margins that can be more similar to software and they don't have exactly the same kind of struggles. But if you as an entrepreneur sign up for a perishable food product, um, there's almost no room for error in your execution because the margins are so low. Mm. And that's kind of what makes it scary. It's not that there's any one hard thing. It, literally, I feel like every day since launching this business, 
I have like walked on the the razor's edge of failure. How do you stay motivated then? I just love what I do. I just really love it. Because I think about this question a lot because there are a lot of times when uh, things are so hard, I have to step back and ask myself because I think it's worth asking like, okay, do I still want to do this? Why, you know, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, is this still what I thought it would be at the moment that I like, started the company? And every time uh, I just can't imagine myself doing anything else because I just really love designing this product and making it better every day for our clients. And that's what keeps me going when times are hard. It's not, I don't even necessarily think it's, that I'm resilient. It's just like, I don't want this thing that I love to go away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as a a female entrepreneur, um, what advice would you give to other female entrepreneurs? Oh, I think uh, we're definitely a minority out there still. I think it's great to try to connect with other female entrepreneurs and do everything you can to support them because we go through different issues than men do. And so sometimes you just need a sounding board to talk about these things. Um, Cause it's, everything's different from the way you fundraise. Like if I go to a man for fundraising advice, their strategy, the strategy that men use is very different from the strategy women use. Cause a man will give advice like, oh, you gotta act like you're not trying that hard. You know, show up t-shirt and jeans, uh, maybe show up five minutes late. They might Tell give you me. advice like that, right? Mm-hmm. You talk to a female who <laughs> successfully raised like a series A and B. She hired a coach. She yeah. hired a wardrobe consultant. She went in with a suit. Wow. She cut her hair short. Everything was polished, Dude. right? Uh, yeah. So she went in 15 minutes early. <laughs> exactly. da, da, da. What is that? What That's is that when guys are just like, don't try so hard. Just go in there. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> what is Act that? like you don't need their money. Yeah. <laughs> But it's women. It's like, if a woman did that, they'd be like, she's unprofessional. Yes. Like, she's Truly. unprepared. Yes. Exactly. Know, man. All of those things. So, oh. so it's great having, yeah, female entrepreneurial friends because we really do need to give each other advice and help each other out because the men don't understand what we're going through. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any coaches or anything that you hired? I don't have any coaches who I've yeah. hired. I mean, I have a relationship coach who worked with me on all the relationships in my life, wow. whether it's like cool. professional or romantic or family, which I find really, really helpful. That's really cool. Uh, but not like an executive coach. Tell me more about that. About the relationship yeah. coach? Yeah. Yeah, I just, I realized that relationships are the most important thing in our lives. And I, it's something that we can always get better at. And I noticed that in if we divide up like family work, like romantic and friendships, I realized that, in work and friendships, I feel like I'm really good at relationships, but with family and romantic, I felt like I was really bad at it. So I was like, let me get some help. Um, so we focus a lot on those two areas. And she literally just coaches me through how to have you know, better relationships with people through the way I react in conversations <laughs> to rewriting stories I have about that person or myself mm. so that I can like be less reactive in those conversations. Like it, it runs the whole gamut. It's been helpful for me because I don't know where else I would learn this information. Otherwise I, I read a lot of books, but it, it's not quite the same as yeah. working with a coach. It's not like you can't feel it. Mm-hmm. Like look at, see it, like put it in action. I completely agree. Yeah. What, what's one of those stories that you've re- rewritten recently? Oh, I have so many stories. So I think like I work a lot on the dating stuff. Um, my mom always told me, I hope she doesn't listen to this. She's going to beat up on herself. I, <laughs> I won't let her know, but she's always told me since I was a kid, you're too masculine. Uh, if you don't act more feminine, no one's going to want to marry you. You're too masculine. 
And I do have a lot of masculine energy. It's one of the reasons why I've been able to be successful in my career. Yes. So my coach is just helping me realize that like, no, like there, I also, I have a feminine side and I don't need to, you know, I have to believe that there is a feminine side and I am going to be able to find a relationship and I'm not too masculine. Um, there are times when I bring masculine energy to a particular project because sometimes I need to be in that doer mode. And then, but I also need to learn to flip into the more receptive feminine side. Um, so she's coaching me through all of that, but kind of a hard story to rewrite because it made, yeah. made me self-conscious about dating my whole life. I always think like, oh, mm. uh, you know, I'm too manly. This guy isn't going to like me. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like, how successful can I be? Mm-hmm. How successful can I allow myself to be? Because that means I'm masculine. Yeah. It's funny, I don't see you as masculine. Yeah, I don't. That's kind that's of- That's amazing to hear. Yeah, yeah, I really don't. I yeah. do see, that's like all I see you as. Yeah, I really don't yeah. see that at all. Oh, that's heartbreaking. I think the- That's I heartbreaking think, too. I think the, you know, the right person- mm-hmm. Will, it's just like a cool thing that happens where you'll be able to effortlessly slip between both and they will honor both. Yeah. yeah. You know? I that think too, so nice. too, to go from finance, you know, that's very a masculine oh, energy. Yeah. And then methodology to me is very, very feminine. Yeah. Your expression within mm-hmm. methodology is very, very feminine. The branding, the actual like feeding people, yeah. nourishing people is is very feminine. I, yeah, I'm Giving glad to people. So- I wanted it to feel like you were being taken Mm -hmm. care of by a woman actually very intentionally because I find it interesting that in the home, it's primarily the woman doing the cooking and nurturing the family. But in the food industry, like when you go to restaurants and when you're buying from the industry, it's food primarily made by men. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm a woman going to this industry, I'm not going to try to like come across and do it the way the men do it. I want to take a truly feminine approach to creating a food delivery system. So I'm glad you picked up on that. I love that. It's, I mean, it's beautiful. What, so just last question for me, what are some of your favorites on the menu that people should check out? So I always like the Asian things the most. (laughs) (laughs) Even though you didn't eat Vietnamese. Yeah, it's crazy. I barely eat Vietnamese food, but it must be something genetic because I literally didn't start eating Vietnamese food until I was an adult. And then you're like, what the fuck? But it's still my comfort food. So there's like, it's almost like I'm wired because my mom and grandma and everyone ate it. But um, so, and then, so my co-founder is Chinese and our head chef is Chinese. So our menu ski was like really Asian. I love that. I love Asian food. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so definitely like the beef pho is one of my favorites because I, I, for some reason, feel like so happy knowing that like I have all these people eating more Vietnamese food because of me. Because I feel like I'm sharing part of my culture with them when I do that, which is why I just, I mean, that's what I love the most about the, the job. It's just sharing my love of food. So that is uh, a fa- is one that I really like. And then we have this kind of like deconstructed dim sum bowl uh, wow. where we just like took like the filling of dumplings that is so good, but like removed the wrapper because a lot of our clients don't mm-hmm. want you know the carbs, but we just like it turned it into a big meatball <laughs> and then serve it with like rice and chili oil and that, yeah. And veggies, that's pretty yummy too. So oh good. God. It's yeah. so good. Um. Um, what's what's coming up for methodology? What are you really excited about? I'm excited about this year because I feel like we are starting to put the finishing touches on just functionality and ease of use over the next six months where we just really want to plug in a lot of the holes that are painful in the experience, both from the food and the packaging to the website. And then after that, uh, I think that our team is finally going to get to bring like a lot of the vision we've been talking about for years for life where just really inject the experience with fun and like surprises. Uh, so that part, I think is going to be one of the most fun parts of running the business because 
like I said, these are things that we've been imagining for years, but just haven't been able to bring to life because we didn't finish building the nuts and bolts yet. Sure. Wow. Yeah. That's so exciting. That's awesome. We loved when we got the dessert sent to us. <laughs> <laughs> that fucked me up. I'll send you guys desserts. That literally <laughs> fucked me up. I'm down. My, my handyman, Miguel, I gave him some stuff because uh-huh. I was like, dude, I can't be. <laughs> I can't be alone with five things of dessert. <laughs> that ain't that ain't right for me. No, I can't eat. I think I ate like two before I came here and then I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have like sugar carbonated for this podcast interview. We'll have you lift over there. After. <laughs> yeah, honestly, just lift it out. Um, how can our listeners connect with you and methodology? Well, there are two ways. You can go to the website, www.gomethodology.com and then... Um, I'm also addicted to running our Instagram account, which is the handle is Go Methodology. So you can find me there as well. Awesome. And awesome. almost 30 is the code for, for our methodology. No, I should have changed fans. it to almost 40 because that's my age, but Stop. okay. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> um, and Lindsay and I love methodology. Truly. We use it quite regularly and it's just been a staple for us. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you for doing what you do, sharing your story. Um, I know it's going to be inspirational for our girls. Thanks for having me, guys. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right, y'all. We'll talk to you soon. See you soon. Love you. Bye. Thank you so much, Julie, and definitely recommend methodology. I get it about once a month sometimes when I'm home, once a quarter mm-hmm. for sure. And I just love it's so love. fresh. It's delicious. As and if you and have all like the glass containers chest. are major. Yes. Yes. It's it's very thoughtful, unique. Like I haven't Every dish, I'm like, I would never have thought of that. 100%. (laughs) And it's comfort food in a way, you know, healthy comfort food. So it's not like you feel like you're depriving yourself. It's it's really filling, delicious and healthy. Um, So thanks again, Julie. And we wanted to read a review. Um, Thank you so much, everyone, for writing reviews. It means the world to us. I just listened to the podcast where you and Krista discussed your friendship. And I just want to let you know how powerful I thought it was. I so agree with you on so many things you talked about. Thank you all for always keeping it real. I'm so grateful I came across the podcast a few years ago. It has been a constant light in my life. And that's from Sarah. Mm. Thanks, girl. That means the world. Thank you so much. And when you guys write reviews, it just means so much to us. And, you know, for anyone that wants to write a review and just DM it to us or email it to hello at almost30podcast.com, we can send you over our self-care checklists. So Mm -hmm. Lindsay and I both have separate self-care checklists and we can send those over to you as a thank you. So just email or DM your review to hello at almost30podcast.com. And again, just want to let you know about our Malibu retreat. You can find more information at almost30podcast.com slash retreat. It is such a highlight for us every single year and is a great way for you to reconnect with yourself and just really authentically connect with other women in a setting that I can only call paradise with incredible people joining us across, you know, astrology, nutrition, movement, uh, womb awakening, uh, ecstatic dance, feminine embodiment. It's really going to be very, very special. Yes. We cannot wait to hang out with you. Almost30podcast.com slash retreat. Website is almost30podcast for support on starting, growing, or monetizing a podcast, your podcast pro. And we have episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of our lives. We appreciate you so very much. Love you. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.